Welcome to What's Next, Cornet Global's podcast that puts members on the mic for thought-provoking, profession-shaping conversations and commentary. In this episode, you'll hear from Dara Arnold, Randy Ruka, and Krista Van Manen. These three colleagues from Gensler will explore how employers can make the most of a new workplace following a relocation. They will also discuss the design process and ways you can achieve great results. We're excited you joined us to learn how you can use a corporate relocation as an opportunity to maximize the potential of a new workplace. I'm Dara Arnold, a studio director with Gensler and your moderator for today. I co-lead Gensler's space and occupancy management team for our WISP solution, which is used during the corporate relocation process. And you'll hear more about that later in the presentation. I'm grateful to have Randy Ruka and Christy Van Manen here with me to share their expertise on how a relocation project can be both a positive and a transformative experience. Randy is a senior design manager at Gensler. He guides clients of all types and sizes through the design process while aligning their passions and goals with strategic results-driven outcomes. He combines design thinking and thoughtful communication into his projects to create inspiring and innovative spaces. Christy is a senior associate at Gensler and my partner in co-leading Gensler's space and occupancy management team. She's passionate about streamlining processes and the value that accurate data can deliver to clients to inform their real estate strategy. As a global design firm, Gensler is focused on improving workplace performance. We do extensive research and we're leading the industry in gathering and applying workplace information to understand the relationship between design, business, and the human experience. And through our research, we've learned that whether you're relocating to a new space or renovating your existing space, a new workplace can truly be more than just the logistics of getting from point A to point B. I experienced this firsthand when our office relocated to a new space a year ago and can attest that this can be an inspiring process and a catalyst for positive change. Your new workplace too can be an inspiring and transformative opportunity. Um, Employees can experience a shared purpose in their work. They can find balance through a variety of places to focus, to collaborate, or to socialize. And it it can allow your culture and your values to shine through and elevate talent attraction, retention, and overall enhance productivity. Now, I'll turn it over to Randy, who will share how you and your organization can achieve these results in a new workplace. So thank you, everyone, for joining. We really appreciate your your time and your interest. Um, What we want to do today is um, kind of walk you through the process of Uh, how you start a project and how you move into it. Uh, I've been working as a designer and project manager for over 25 years. And so I've been through this process myriad times, um, always from start to finish. uh, So I kind of understand all of the different things that come up along the process. Uh, Some of you on the call may have never been through this process before. Some of you may have done it before. Um, One thing that I know and acknowledge um, and have become sympathetic to is it, while it's, my job day to day all the time. Some of you will get it as a part-time job added to your other responsibilities and we're sympathetic to that additional um, workload and stress and we try and help you get through it. Um, 
so anyway, how do you get started? You just kind of have to start. Um, and, and I would give you kind of timelines that if you think you have a lease coming up or you know you have a lease coming up and you either are going to stay where you're at or relocate, give yourself a couple of years to start this whole process, maybe two. If you're a big organization and you might need to have a building built for you or move to, you know, 300,000 square feet, which would require a very specific leasehold, give yourself even longer than that. There's, there's no harm in starting. The conversation usually starts with a broker. Um, so you, sometimes that'll be your first person who has um, gotten uh, to be one of your partners. Um, and then you get other people such as the designers, Gensler, for instance, uh, uh, project managers, other people that can help you holistically look at this. Um, there's five basic uh, portions of what we're doing. The first one, uh, vision and planning, uh, which we'll talk about. Uh, which is kind of just setting the stage of what it is we're trying to build. Site selection and test fits, where is we going to implement this? Let's find the space for us to move or if we're going to stay, it, just confirm we're staying. The actual design process whereby we are turning our space um, into what is appropriate for the organization, getting it documented and built, which is exciting, and then moving into it and making sure that we're able to maintain all that. So vision and planning. Uh, what is it? Some people in the past may have referred to this as programming or creating a program, and that's partly true. A program is a document that outlines how many things you need, how many square feet you have, and that's all true. Um, but we actually, we need a bigger vision. We need a bigger idea, and, and so do you, uh, to make sure that you are really maximizing this opportunity. So we ask that you really dream big. This is the stage. You're quite possibly embarking on an opportunity that is um, going to happen every 12 to 15 years, if you think about how long your lease might be. Um, and so while you want to fix some things that need fixing, you know, get enough conference rooms, make sure there's flexibility in workspace, et cetera, this is also your opportunity to dream big, um, make bigger global or cultural changes, make uh, amenities that are very specific to your your group, whether it be because of an age um, requirement or uh, just things that other people have seen. I mean, now's the time. Put everything on paper at this point, we say. Uh, we do this, gather this visioning and planning information both quantitatively and qualitatively. Quantitative being how much, how many conference rooms do I need? How many people will I have? How many people do we think will grow into? And obviously, sometimes that is a a number that you're not comfortable getting to, we can help you with benchmarking and other strategies to try and evaluate that. But the quantitative part is giving a broker some information to work with square footage wise to go out into the market. Uh, is he looking for approximately 25,000 square feet or is she looking for 100,000 square feet? We need to give some parameters to look. But then qualitatively, we really need to find out what it is we're building beyond square footage. This is the culture, this is the energy, this is the life that you wanna breathe into it. This is where you add in the amenities and the um, collaboration spaces and, and the things that are usually more unique to your organization. And so the quali qualitative part is so important even at this stage because it could add parameters to what buildings we're looking at. It could add square footage parameters, it could add uh, parameters of the part of town we're looking at or what sort of views and things like that we need. So we don't like to lose sight of that. 
if you come away with nothing, <laughs> and if you haven't been through this before, understand that change is challenging for a lot of people, and it's sometimes scary. And so the smartest thing that you can do for yourself and for your organization is to talk about that change. Um, some people, even if they're working in a space that does not function for the organization any longer, needs changes, it just is just blocking them from all sides, would rather adapt in that existing space that they already know than move on to a new space that is going to have changes that they don't know how they're going to adapt to. So I would say change management is crucial. Now is the time to talk about it. Get your stakeholders and your organization to be on board with that messaging. If there's going to be big cultural shifts, make sure that the leadership is behind you and with you saying that. Um, I'll tell you a story once that I was in a visioning session such as the one I just described earlier, and a law firm associate lunged across the table at us because she honestly and truly had heard through the grapevine that we were going to put all glass front offices anywhere, and there was no way on earth she was ever, ever going to be able to work under that scenario. No other change that we were going to be able to do was going to allow her to work. She, that was just the end of it. Had there been a better message ahead <laughs> of time saying that, you know, we're just talking about different opportunities and what we're going to do, it would have helped the, the process a little bit better. We, we got through that and I don't know that she still works there. Um, so site selection and test fits. So now we've established in the earlier programming um, how many square feet we need. Have we told the broker to find 10,000 square feet, 100,000 square feet? Have we said to look in the CB central business district or in the suburbs? Uh, we need to compare these buildings and we do that through test fitting. Uh, test fits are truly two-dimensional drawings that illustrate the program. And in, in great opportunities, you get several buildings you compare against each other because not only are finances what you're looking at and the overall cost of this, but how do the buildings work um, and how do they tick all the boxes of all the qualitative and quantitative things we're looking at. Part of the things to think about for site selection and landlords know this is um, they'll tell you about people are worried about parking and transportation so they will have all of the different ways that your your staff can be coming in. Um, the cost of all the square footages are different from one to the other. Where are the restaurants? What sort of amenities are in the building whether they be conference spaces, workout facilities, etc. Um, landlords know that these matter to you and I would also suggest taking advantage of all the information that you have and what you're hearing your staff wants and um, talk to the buildings about these things as well. It's not just about what floors are available for you. Uh, as I said, test fits are conventionally two-dimensional uh, pictorials. We've kind of tilted these 3D just to give you a bit of an overview of some of the things that we, we look at. So for instance, if you have a conventional workplace, um, we've got some offices on the perimeter and maybe a large quantity of workstations. We can look at uh, how everybody will fit, making sure that we've got all of these corridors and other things that we need to make everything work. Um, then there might be some other that's slightly more traditional that may have more shared space down the center and maybe we've worked, we'll work out a strategy for the offices that are built to uh, two offices to turn into a conference room further down the road or one larger office to become a shared space for you know three associates or whatever the business model is. Uh, so we'll look at different strategies to see if these strategies can implement a different staff count over time. 
and then maybe your organization will be one that has more activity base, uh, whereby you'll have different collaboration spaces and zones that might have people gathering together or working separately. Uh, different unique spaces that again can be shared. Um, you're seeing a lot of more office-free environments, dedicated office environments, uh, but still having some built environments often to um, make sure that people can get away and collaborate. The La Crosse office is unique in Gunza. We have 47, 48 offices, and they're unique in that they're a technology hub. They uh, work with um, they work with clients helping to manage the built environments. The rest of the office offices across the globe design and build the environments. La Crosse manages those with some of the tools that uh, Christy's going to talk about later. But we treated our Gensler um, partners in La Crosse the same way that we would treat any client. We have a design, um, overall design partee, which is specific to their technology and that we kind of took the binary code um, and punch cards, things that are relative to the technology that they um, implement every day. And we combined it with some more organic and natural elements, which is very much a part of who they are and the place in the country where they live. There was a, a nod to the convergence of the three rivers that converge right in La Crosse. Uh, all of those things, uh, along with branding, et cetera, went through the same process whereby we got to collaborate with the client to create a space that worked for them, that represented them, and that they were proud to move into. Um, when it comes to like branding, there's a couple of ways that we can approach this. There are some very, um, maybe there's a newer firm or a startup firm or one that really doesn't have a true visual brand yet. And that can be achieved um, through a cultural, uh, maybe more of a cultural nod using materials and other things, whether it be about openness or natural materials versus slick materials, things like that. And we have seen over time that some of these early material and design nods that we have made in these efforts have be later turned into the brand for a client and, and kind of becomes more of um, a, a bigger statement as they grow. Then you have also other opportunities where it's a much bolder statement. It's reflecting, you know, the whole identity it might be celebrating history product that they truly make or evolution. It could be about wayfinding. It could be about architecture. So branding as through part of the design can be a very interesting um, process at when it's appropriate. My personal favorite part of this process has always been um, getting it built, uh, documenting it and getting it constructed because we've now we've designed it. We've obviously spent a lot of effort. We've been, we're all in bed in it and the design needs to be able to be built without losing the intent of the design and the design needs to be affordable without losing its integrity um, we're not designing in a vacuum so we need to document the project and you do that with drawings with specifications uh, we'll get other consultants on board engineers lighting consultants furniture dealers etc so Everything is drawn to details that allow the project to be permitted. Every you know, jurisdiction has different rules, but everything has to get permitted. It has to get bid, so you know how much it costs. Hopefully by this time in the process, actually earlier on, I should have mentioned it, it really behooves us to have a, a general contractor partner by our side and selected 
in the design process because what they can do is hear everything we're saying and they're starting to put pricing numbers together, they're understanding what the budgets are and they can raise their hand every now and then and whether it's a, um, a cost issue or a lead time due to certain materials or other things that are specific to the industry that we may not know about, that's such a smart partner to have on board. And then therefore, once we've gotten to this point where we're doing all this drawing and they're out to the streets to bid, they already are well vested in what it is we're trying to build and they're right there trying to achieve it. Honestly, some of the best days and most satisfying days on, a, on the job sites have been when we've walked on the job and you know you found a, a problem because of something that's in the way and you talk to the general contractor and the subs and everybody just kind of starts to think about it. Uh, how do we solve it without adding cost or changing the design? And then you'll you'll have a drywall subcontractor, an electrical subcontractor, whatever the, the issue is, come up with a solution that they can implement, that they are proud of, they understand the drawings, they're vested in what we're doing, and it just shows how collaborative this process can be. Um, and then getting back to my earlier statement about knowing that this becomes a part-time job for, for some of you or, or others in your organization. Um, it does take some extra time, but I, I also feel that if you do get an opportunity and if it's appropriate to um, your interests in the firm, if you do get an opportunity to be part of something like this, I think you would you would learn a lot. Uh, you would be you would come away with um, a, a true pride in something that you've helped create in a way that you've helped guide your your company. So, you know, it may be in, in older and more traditional um, ways of going through this. This might have been the, bye, we're done. We've built the space. Good luck. Uh, but we're not really that easy to get rid of. Um, and we've also uh, learned that there are so much that you still need at this point. Uh, and, and, you know, we don't want to leave you in the lurch. And so we have tools and processes that take all of this information that we have and they leverage them to help you during your occupancy. You don't have to recreate the wheel with other um, uh, tools. Uh, I'm going to let Christy talk about that more. Great. Hello, everyone, and thank you, Randy, for that great overview. Uh, I can really relate to that entire process that Randy just walked us through. As Dara mentioned, you know, we moved into our space a little over a year ago, and as a stakeholder, I would have really appreciated that overview a little earlier. Um, because it really would have helped understand what is to come, what is that next step, what are we, what are we looking at? And the construction phase that Randy was talking about, that was really exciting. Um, we actually gave everyone in our office an opportunity to visit the, the project site a couple of times so they could see it as it was building, being built and as it was being constructed. And that was a really exciting time to, to see it come together. But the part that I really understand well is what I'm going to be sharing with you now. And and when you're in that construction phase, it's really a good time to start thinking about where people are going to sit in the new space. Whether your workplace strategy includes a dedicated seating or some sort of free address agile seating or some kind of combination, you really need to start planning on what's to come on day one and how is that going to be communicated to your employees. So during this phase, you may be thinking about some of these things that you're seeing on the screen. You know, how will I communicate where everyone will sit? We've, we've grown since the process has started and I need more seats for a specific group. How will the movers know where to put the equipment in those boxes? Uh, where will people even know where to find their lockers if you have some type of free address environment? 
And at this time, you really may be feeling a little like this guy on the screen. But the good news is that you are in the home stretch right here. Your new beautiful space is coming to life. It's the time where the project that you started well over two years ago is finally becoming real. So where do you even start? And first, you really need to know where the departments will be going. And this is also known as departmental blocking. And at this phase, you're not really concerned about the details of who the individuals are and where they will be sitting. You really just need to look and find where on the floor the groups will be going. So this exercise can really start as soon as you have a finalized floor plan layout. And you may have already established some of this in the design phase during that programming phase that uh, Randy was talking about. But this is the opportunity to check to see if the department sizes have changed since you established that initially in blocking. Um, you, maybe it no longer makes sense and you need to revise it a little bit. You wanna change those adjacencies and things like that. Uh, or maybe it wasn't even done as part of the initial phase. So now you need to get started and figure out where the groups are going to go. Now there are multiple ways to accomplish this. Um, there's what we like to call low-tech solutions and high-tech options. And through the years, we have seen some extremely creative solutions that clients come up with. And just to give you a few examples of what we've seen and, and what can be done, um, a lot of clients like to print the PDFs of their new floor plans, break out all their colored highlighters, colored pencils, and then they start highlighting and coloring where the groups are gonna go. And some of you right now are probably shaking your head and saying, yep, been there, done that. And then you quickly realize when you go down that road, you have to all of a sudden print a new PDF of that floor plan because you made a mistake, somebody changed their mind, or you just came up with a different option. We've also seen what we call the sticky note method. And this is where people will print out floor plans in a really large format, you know, with a plotter or something like that. And then they'll use sticky notes to identify where those groups are going to go. This option will allow you to move those sticky notes pretty easily. You don't have to go reprint that floor plan again. You can move things very easily. But the challenge really comes in with being able to move those. Um, you know, this isn't a process that hap happens in one day or one hour in one meeting or anything like that. It takes some time and, and you have to constantly evaluate it. So you have to store those, which may require you rolling those drawings up and storing them somewhere where they're not going to get harmed. Now, a more high-tech solution that you may want to consider is using something like WISP, where you can create the blocking plans using some of the tools like our scenario tool. Now, for the WISP users that are on the call today, you can probably relate to how simple and easy that scenario tool really is, is, uh, is to use during this phase of the project. So this is where we would get your floor plans, those finalized floor plan layouts. We publish them into WISP, and then you as the user are able to interact with the tools to block where the different groups are going to go. The great thing about this option is that it centralizes everything and you can easily create an unlimited number of options without the need to print additional versions. But regardless of the method that you choose, this is a great time to really engage the stakeholders in the process where you can have you know, working sessions to collaborate and come up with department blocking together. And then it can save you time and get buy-in much more quickly. Now that your department blocking plans are done and the stakeholders are all in agreement, this is where you need to uh, really decide who is going to sit where, getting down to the individuals now. 
um, potentially even figure out who has which locker if you're in an agile free address environment. If your workplace strategy does include dedicated seating, the seating assignments are often determined by the department managers. And again, you can have low-tech options to solve this or high-tech solutions uh, to capture this information. Now with a low-tech option, we often see where clients, um, where they have created those blocking plans and they'll create a PDF of that. They'll send that along with an Excel spreadsheet of all the people within a department They'll provide those two pieces of information to each manager. And then the expectation is that the manager will reference the floor plan to figure out, okay, which space number, room number is this person going to be sitting in? And then they have to translate that into the Excel spreadsheet next to their name. So this is a back and forth uh, exercise where they're referring to these two documents. Um, eventually, you know, once they fill out their Excel spreadsheet, they this information gets sent back to the occupancy planner um, where they compile the entire list of seating assignments for all the departments. Now, hopefully in that whole process, you know, different groups didn't um, modify that Excel spreadsheet where they added columns or, you know, typed something wrong and those sorts of things. Now, if you're involved with a larger scale move and I would say, in the upwards of 100 or more people where you have to worry about moving that many people, you're gonna to wanna to consider a higher tech solution. And this again could involve something like WISP's scenario tool where you can um, pick up where you left off, where you did the blocking plans in WISP, now you take it to the next step and you can decide um, uh, where the people are gonna be sitting. So the beautiful thing about this and using the tools in WISP is that you're collecting the seating assignments in a centralized and standardized way. So to do this, you can actually give the department managers access to WISP where they can log in and when they log in, they get a list of all their people, they, get, uh, they can see their floor plans and which spaces you've allocated them. And now all they're doing is saying, okay, I want this person to sit in this seat, this person to sit in this seat, just by clicking the drawing. So again, very centralized way um, to collect all of that information. People don't have to rekey things or anything like that. Um, it also prevents them from picking a station that you didn't allocate to them. Uh, for example, if you log in as the IT manager and they're responsible for their group, they can't put one of their people in a space that has been allocated to HR. But again, in any case, regardless of the method you collect this information, uh, Ultimately, what you have at the end of this is a move list that you can give to the movers who need to make sure all the physical equipment, boxes, get to the right spot. Now, the part that we can't forget is how are we going to communicate to the staff? And I'm sure we've all experienced it where people do not like change. And, and Randy talked a lot about this early on. When change is coming, it causes anxiety with the unknowns. People, people want to know. So as Randy said, you know, communicating with the staff about the upcoming changes is critical in the success of the move. And this can be accomplished in different ways. You know, a lot of clients will use... Um, what they call town halls or all staff meetings to communicate what's coming, what's coming. Then when you get further down the road, that's when you might want to consider, you know, print large copies of the floor plans, post them in the break rooms or other common areas so staff can get a glimpse of those new layouts and potentially even see where they're going to be sitting. We've also had clients implement uh, more high-tech methods of placing 
kiosks in like their cafeteria of their current space where then during their lunch breaks and, and things like that, employees could go up and search for their name to find out where they're going to be sitting in their new space. Then you also have to um, think about, you know, on day one, and a lot of clients are starting to use welcome materials that they hand out when they walk in the door. And this allows, um, actually you can see an image in the lower left-hand corner here of something that we did. And this is an opportunity to, you know, show the layout, talk about what the conference room's names are, what the expectations are of reserving a conference room, you know, what available technology might be in each collaboration space, and then the number of seats in those collaboration spaces. Those things are important to share as well. Because keep in mind, you know, with, um, uh, you still want productivity to happen. And as you're planning a move, they need to have meetings in some of those collaboration spaces. And if they don't know what kind of technology or the number of seats, they're not gonna know where to go or what rooms to book. So that has to be communicated, you know, earlier than even when you, when you move. So that's really important. So just to recap the process that we walked you through, um, you know, Randy really spoke about that the first four, and then I picked up on that last one. There's a couple of things that, you know, we really want you to take away from this. One, start planning early. As Randy said, you can't start too early. Um, if you have a lease coming up in the next two, three years, you might want to start thinking about how do you how do you get this project moving and get that stakeholder buy-in early. Dream big. This is where you get permission to dream big. That's the number two thing we want you to take away. So whether you want to fix things about your conference rooms or have more collaboration spaces, soft seating, better light, all those sorts of things, you can dream bigger than that. And then the last one, communicate with the staff often on the progress and then the up of the upcoming changes. Use those town halls, use department meetings to share what's coming so you reduce that anxiety level for everybody that's gonna be affected. So now with that, I am going to turn it back to our moderator, Dara, for the next section here. Great, thank you very much, Randy. 